We have an individual whose name is Nick has come forward and outlined abuse that has happened to him. Pick which one of us they wanted to be alone with, have to be with a number of men before the time was out. It is very difficult to bear the thought that anyone could have thought that I could have done what Nick alleged I and others had done. The Metropolitan Police investigate clear intelligence suggesting a powerful paedophile network linked to Parliament and Number 10. We will be spoken to, you will be believed, and I would ask that you trust us. A truly humbling experience seeing this great man treated as a common criminal. I'm Stephen Wright, and this is the Mail Plus True Crime Podumentary on Scotland Yard's shambolic VIP abuse inquiry, Operation Midland, and the serial liar known as Nick. I began writing critically about the case in September 2015, when Operation Midland was in full swing, and Nick, real name Carl Beach, was being treated as a victim by detectives. He claimed that as a schoolboy, in the 1970s and 1980s, he had been sexually assaulted by an establishment paedophile ring. At the outset of the inquiry, before his account had been tested, a senior officer stated publicly that the Met believed Nick was a credible and true witness. In truth, he was a paedophile, a con man, a crook, and he was later jailed for 18 years. Yet the fallout of the case, which undermined the all-important principle that you are innocent until proven guilty, continues. So where did it go wrong? In February 2016, Met Chief Sir Bernard Hogan Howe asked ex-High Court Judge Sir Richard Henriquez to conduct a review of Operation Midland, which by then was mired in controversy. It wasn't long before Sir Richard realised the seriousness of the situation. Within days, I went to New Scotland Yard, had a working lunch with Sir Bernard. He then put me in the picture. He was extremely concerned about uh, the way that Operation Midland was proceeding, or rather failing to proceed. It had not as yet been concluded, but it was plain from what he told me that he was less than happy at the way in which it had been conducted. He wanted to have no stone left unturned. And his major concerns were about the running of the operation and how his senior officers had led the inquiry. Would that be right? I was to review it from beginning to end, to look at every step in the inquiry and to examine what had been done and what should have been done. Did you sense there was any like political pressure on him at that stage because he had previously defended Operation Midland quite vigorously in radio interviews, yet here in February 2016 he was asking you to do a sort of no-holds-barred review of the inquiry? He was anxious that it should be a thorough inquiry. If there were any adverse findings, that they should be very clearly manifest. And he wanted a full professional inquiry by a judge. And I think it's important here to ask you about the terms of reference of your inquiry, because it wasn't an inquiry into the conduct of individual officers, was it? It was more about the Met as an organisation 
how it dealt with Operation Midland. This had profound consequences for your findings later on, with the police watchdog, the IPCC, later known as the IOPC, controversially clearing five officers of misconduct. Well, it was very important to note that these were not disciplinary proceedings, and so I was not concerned with the disciplinary ramifications of individual officers. In your new book, From Crime to Crime, you say that you realised quite quickly that the allegations by Nick were fantastical and in all probability made up. Just to be clear here, how quickly did you realise how bad things were and the likelihood that Nick had told a pack of lies? Because, of course, before going to the Met, his abuse allegations had been dismissed by Wiltshire Police. There were key differences between the accounts he gave to detectives. I realised certainly within within a matter of days. The first document that I read was the interview by the Wiltshire police officers. I then read the Metropolitan Police interviews and it became clear that the two interviews were totally inconsistent, uh, the one with the other. The, the Wiltshire police were told that a group about 20 in number including a Middle Eastern person, an American-Canadian, and a man called Pete, had been responsible for raping him on numerous occasions. To the Metropolitan Police, of course, he named a former Prime Minister, a former Home Secretary, the head of MI5 and MI6, uh, Mr. Harvey Proctor, MP, and uh, others. And so the assailants were completely different even allowing for mistake, difficulty in recollection, youth and everything else, they were so inconsistent as to be incredible. As Sir Richard got to grips with his inquiry, former Tory MP Harvey Proctor, who had been accused of being a serial child abuser and murderer by Nick, was waiting to hear whether he would face any criminal charges. Operation Midland was still trundling along, for him, it was mental torture. The forcible splitting up of our family unit has been very hard to stomach. And the suggestion to my friends that I could not be trusted with children was particularly hurtful. Can I go straight to the point in terms of your own ordeal before we discuss Operation Midland in more detail? What is it like to be falsely accused of being a serial child killer and for the police to take it seriously? storm your home at breakfast time and then interview you under caution. For most people, there could be nothing worse in terms of the allegations to be made falsely against you. Well, the search of my house was March the 4th, 2015. Here we are five years later. It is very difficult to bear the thought that anyone could have thought that I could have done what Nick alleged I and others had done. And the fact that the premier police force in the country believed him and termed him to be credible and true without investigating him or without giving me an opportunity to respond, I think is outrageous and I will never forgive that. It's fair to say 
you were very sceptical of Sir Richard's inquiry into Operation Midland when it was instigated, and you refused to participate in it. In fact, today, on this podcast, it's the first time you've spoken to Sir Richard. Had you lost all faith in the criminal justice system when his inquiry was set up in 2016? I did not think it was sensible for such an inquiry to be set up by the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, who I held responsible as being head of the organisation, which had destroyed my life. So I made it clear that as the inquiry was set up by Sir Bernard Hogan Howe, as he had determined the terms of reference, that I concluded that that would be a cover-up report. I am grateful to Sir Richard for making sure that it was a full, thorough, factual, forensic report on Operation Midland. But Sir Richard will forgive me that that was not what I thought it would be in February 2016, when I was still being investigated. Sir Richard, can we go back to the start of Operation Midland in November 2014? Of course, it lasted 16 months. I, for one, think it should have been wrapped up in a matter of weeks. When, in your opinion, did it start to go wrong? What were the first mistakes by the Met? Because, of course, Nick, uh, or Beach as we should call him, had already been dismissed as a credible abuse victim by Wiltshire Police when he failed to identify any VIP abusers. So how quickly did it go wrong, in your opinion? I think the first of the many errors was the failure to appraise the interviewing officers of the Wiltshire interview. Had the police officers who were conducting the interview for the Metropolitan Police had they read the Wiltshire interviews, it would have been uh, obvious to them as they were interviewing Carl Beach that he wasn't telling them the truth. And I was dragged away and put in the back of a car. And I tried to get out. And I tried to smash the window and I couldn't. So Operation Midland lasted 16 months cost the Met two and a half million pounds. How quickly could it have ended, in your opinion? Allowing time to read the Wiltshire interviews, to conduct the Metropolitan Police interviews, to evaluate them and to contrast the two interviews. Certainly within a month, six weeks, one would have thought was ample time to carry out those tasks. Extraordinary, isn't it, that time frame? Because if that indeed had happened, the world would never have known about Operation Midland, an investigation which has caused untold shame and embarrassment for the Metropolitan Police. And the world would never have known about Carl Beach, an anonymous NHS manager from Gloucestershire. If it had been dealt with that way, so much damage would have been prevented. And indeed, had there never been any application and granting of permission to issue warrants, the names of Lord Bramall and Harvey Proctor would never have been associated with these quite dreadful crimes. There were so many discrepancies in his story, yet the Met took him very seriously. 
were they trying to correct the wrongs of the Jimmy Savile case when the police failed to take allegations against him seriously? Unquestionably, the Savile failures were there somewhere in the background. It's a matter of speculation as to whether they were operating on the minds of these officers. The fact is, uh, had uh, Carl Beach's allegations been true or even partially true, it may be that some would consider that balance had been slightly redressed between those who offended and those whose task it is to bring them to justice. But unhappily, this saga it must have resulted in a very severe loss of confidence in those whose task it is to inquire into whether or not crime has been perpetrated. The list of fantastical accusations made by Nick are sort of endless, really. Some of the ones which stand out for me were when he alleged that he was tortured by wasps and snakes and electric shock treatment and that a spy chief kidnapped his dog. And then, of course, he claimed that Lord Bramwell attended a naked pool party with Jimmy Savile. I can't think of a more ridiculous set of allegations made to the police that have been taken seriously. The only insubstantial counter-argument is that uh, these allegations were so fantastic that nobody could have made them up. That appears to have been the view that they took, that if somebody was seeking to invent uh, allegations, they would not be so outrageous as these. I had um, poppies pinned to my chest um, whilst they did whatever they wanted to do. Harvey, before Operation Midland, you on the face of it were having a lovely life working as private secretary for the Duke of Rutland at Beaver Castle. Do you remember hearing about Operation Midland when it was launched? Well, Operation Midland entered my consciousness when the Metropolitan Police threw a press conference at New Scotland Yard to appeal for witnesses and other so-called victims to come forward and they were told they would be believed. Now, when I heard what was alleged, not knowing that I was in any way involved or that Nick had made any allegations against me, but that he had made allegations that there had been a Westminster VIP paedophile ring I thought that was so far-fetched as to be unbelievable. We have an individual who, name is Nick, has come forward and outlined abuse that has happened to him. So what I'm looking for are, if you were a victim of non-recent sexual abuse between that period of time, you would probably be a young man now, is to come forward you will be open to, you will be believed, and I would ask that you trust us. When you heard that press conference, when Detective Superintendent Kenny MacDonald described Nick as credible and true, did it ever cross your mind you might get caught up in what really was an unravelling witch hunt? No, and even when my house was searched, I couldn't quite weigh it up because, of course, I knew that I'd done nothing that I was alleged to have done. 
and I wanted genuinely to help the police with their inquiries. It, it was a horrific time for me in that it not only affected my professional duties, it not only meant that I lost my home, but it had grievous consequences for an extended family that I'd befriended and a lot of that cannot be undone. It's a matter of public record that in the 1980s you appeared in court and pleaded guilty to offences of gross indecency with a man under 21. Those were offences which would not be against the law now. I wonder whether you consider that in relation to the VIP child sex abuse inquiry, you were an easy target for conspiracy theorists, rogue websites, and dare I say it, unprofessional police officers. It took me 27, 28 years to recover from what had happened in 1987, and that was torn down in uh, 15 hours of the police search. And as you know, when the police left my home, they said I would not be named. So when the police left at 11 o'clock that night, I thought, well, this is a difficult situation, but at least it won't get into the media. And when I woke at seven o'clock with the television set still on, Beaming down on me was my face with all of this, and I've had to deal with it since. Before Nick was unmasked as a hoaxer, he was entitled to anonymity and gave interviews about his supposed ordeal, with his voice distorted, to news outlets, including the now discredited and defunct investigations website, Exaro. Some of these people were. You say that it included politicians, including MPs. How did you know that? Some of them were very open about who they were, about what they did. Some of them not so. Some of them were a bit more secretive. The raid on Harvey's home, the raid on Lord Bramwell's home, and the raids on the late Lord Britain's two homes were just three months after Detective Superintendent Kenny MacDonald had publicly described Nick as a credible and true witness. And you're certain that Nick is telling you the truth? Nick has been interviewed over a long period of time by experienced detectives from the Child Abuse Command. They and I believe what Nick to be saying is credible and true. It was an extraordinary statement, the sort I would expect a senior officer to make at the end of a trial when a suspect has been convicted of the charges. Yet this was at the outset of the investigation. I wanted to ask you, Sir Richard, that statement, how damaging was it to the integrity of Operation Midland? Everyone concerned with Operation Midland uh, now concedes that those words uh, should not have been spoken. In saying that we consider that Nick's uh, allegations are credible and true, the detective superintendent was announcing to the world that they, as police officers, did believe Nick, when in fact the truth of the matter was that a full investigation was required to establish the credibility of Nick as a witness. Uh, Accordingly, the public were being misled. I wonder if I may ask 
Sir Richard on the issue of the words credible and true. Whether he asked or was given access to the media department of the Metropolitan Police, because a lot of this, I believe, was media-led. I'm not able to uh, recollect whether I looked at those uh, particular documents uh, after this passage of time. What I am able to say is that it wasn't necessary to see where the impetus came from to use those words. It's quite clear from the decision log in which Deputy Assistant Commissioner Rodhouse wrote, if asked, we will say we do believe Nick. Can I go just one step further on this? Because the origins of the word credible and true have never been established. Sir Bernard Hogan Howe, when he forwarded the five officers to the IPCC in December 2016, specifically excluded in the terms of reference to the IPCC anything to do with credible and true. He reserved those matters for internal investigation by the Metropolitan Police. There were so many different aspects of this inquiry that could have been referred to them. I have always taken the view that the critical, critical error in this whole uh, operation was the misleading of a district judge in order to obtain warrants. That was the single executive act that caused you such uh, distress. Had those warrants never been obtained, these allegations against you would never have found their way into the public domain. It seemed to me that that was the critical matter that needed investigating because uh, that, plainly, the misleading of a judge involved potential conspiracy to pervert the course of justice and possible acts of perjury. After your home was raided, Harvey, you made a remarkable decision to hold a press conference of your own in August 2015. It was a very high-risk strategy by you, I'd say. I know that you were confident that you were innocent, but your decision to go public and reveal the allegations against you, many of which were absolutely ridiculous, risked smoking out other false accusers. Was that a sign of the desperation you had at the time that you wanted to go public and basically invite the Met to take you on even more? I felt that I'd been placed in the position where I was guilty and I had to defend myself and I could not look to the Metropolitan Police to do a fair, balanced investigation. So that was not done out of desperation it was done to have a different approach to how I tackled my difficulties in 1987. I decided then I'd said as little as possible. On this occasion, I thought it was best to go public with as much information as I had to try to get the media to take up 
an investigative role in these matters, given that I didn't accept that the Metropolitan Police were having a fair and balanced inquiry. None of the allegations were alleged to have taken place at my home, and I have not visited the homes of any of the gang. If it was not so serious, it would be laughable. And you know what, Harvey, I'm so grateful you did that press conference for my own personal selfish reasons, because although I wasn't there, I read about your press conference, I read the details of the allegations made against you, and as an experienced crime journalist, I concluded very quickly that these allegations are so ludicrous they cannot be true. Sir Richard, your inquiry started in February 2016, just a few weeks before Operation Midland formally closed. When did you realise for the first time that your report was likely to be very damning of the Metropolitan Police? At a comparatively early stage, as soon as I had read and analysed both sets of interviews. And although you didn't speak to Harvey during your inquiry, you did meet Lord Bramall and Lady Britain. I saw the video of Lord Bramall being interviewed by two Operation Midland detectives. I saw that at the trial of Carl Beach. And on a human level, it was a truly disgusting spectacle, in my opinion. You know, our greatest living soldier, a D-Day hero, was humiliated for an hour and a half. Lord Bramall would later say that the wounds of Operation Midland were worse than what he suffered at Normandy. But I find it quite incredible that anybody should believe that uh, someone of my career, standing, integrity, uh, should have been capable of any of these things, including How did you find the experience of meeting Lord Bramall and indeed his views on on Operation Midland? Because shortly before he died last year, he did say he felt it was the Metropolitan Police who should be in the dock, not just Carl Beach. It was a humbling experience. He was, by any standards, a great man who had achieved an enormous amount in life. He and his daughter invited us into their home and it was a truly humbling experience seeing this great man. I had by then seen the video of his interview and he was treated as a common criminal. Every shocking allegation was put to him and he, of course, uh, disputed everyone. But that at his age, having to listen to what really was the most shocking, shocking allegation that anybody could uh, invent, short only perhaps of the three child murders that had been alleged against Harvey Proctor, seeing a man in the late years of his life having to put up with these allegations was truly most upsetting. But I'll be right in thinking by the summer of 2016 that you were beginning to shape your report and have an idea what what the tone of it would be. You alluded earlier to the fact that you were able to contact the Commissioner, Sir Bernard Hogan Hale, directly at that time. Do you remember when you first told him about the likely tone? 
of course, one keeps an open mind in any investigation for as long as one can. And I was desperately trying to uh, find uh, how it was that the officers had uh, reached the conclusions that they had. But for the moment, one compares the Wiltshire interviews with, with the Metropolitan Police interviews and his blogs and his mother's statement, his evidence is plainly an absolute uh, pack of lies. Sir Richard, your report came out on November the 8th, 2016, which was US presidential election day, leading to claims the Met was trying to bury bad news. Sir Bernard Hogan Howe had announced his retirement by then. Your report identified 43 major blunders by his officers. A lot of people thought Sir Bernard wouldn't have been able to survive that. I wonder what your views are on that, because it was such a damning report over an investigation he had defended to the hilt over quite some months. I'm not sure you're giving him the credit that uh, that he deserves for commissioning the report. Uh, had he not commissioned this report, the conversation that we're having now and present position of Carl Beach may have been very different. My own view is that he was well-intentioned in that report. I have the advantage that others don't have of having interviewed him, having asked him about what steps he took. You've got to remember that he was several ranks removed from those who were carrying out the day-to-day -day investigation. Time and again, he sent for uh, for, for uh, Assistant Commissioner Gallon. Uh, he he uh, spoke to um, Deputy Assistant Commissioner Rodhouse. He was assured at every turn they believed Nick. Indeed, when I interviewed the five officers at the conclusion of my uh, inquiry, they were still saying, I believe Nick. In your report, you called for an independent investigation into Beach for perverting the course of justice. It didn't take long, did it, really, for Northumbria police to realise what had been going on. It was quite shocking, really, the amount of evidence of how Beach had fabricated his story. It appears to have been a, a very effective and very swift inquiry. And, of course, the point can very properly be made. If they were able to find out as much as they did years after the event, why were the Metropolitan Police unable to find that same information much closer in, in time to the events? Because Mr Rodhouse, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner, said at the end of Operation Midland there was no evidence that Nick, as he was known then, had willfully misled the police. That seems a really odd statement, doesn't it? Those were his closing remarks, that there was no evidence that the Metropolitan Police had been misled by Nick. Well, the Northumbria Police found a volume of evidence in double-quick time that the Metropolitan Police had indeed been misled by Carl Beach. And in your book, From Crime to Crime, you, you make it clear your, your frustration that two other men with terrible criminal records who had come forward to support his allegations, they were known as A and B, they have not been investigated for perverting the course of justice, as you had recommended. Can you explain your concerns about that? I'm at a loss to understand why it is that A and B have not been investigated by an independent police force. They both sought to support the allegations made by Nick. 
I did not include in my report the version of facts that they put forward because it seemed to give oxygen to those statements would be uh, most unfair to those that were named in the statements. What I am prepared to say is they were quite patently untrue and false statements, as indeed Deputy Assistant Commissioner Rodhouse readily concedes. Perhaps I can give an update. But first, could I say with regard to DAC Steve Rodhouse, when I was no further actioned on the 21st of March 2016, my solicitors wrote to him and asked him to investigate Nick Carl Beach for perverting the course of justice and wasting police time. He did not even record my solicitor's reference as a crime. And during the rest of 2016, until Northumbria police were involved, as a result of Sir Richard's report, Carl Beach committed paedophile offences. Now, going on to A and B, I have appealed to Northumbria Police and then to the Metropolitan Police and then to the IOPC that A and B and their activities should be investigated by an outside police force. But I thought I should update you that all is not lost with regard to A and B and I'm optimistic that there will be eventually an investigation into exactly the sort of things Sir Richard wanted. I wanted to raise the subject of politics and policing in relation to Operation Midland. In your book, Sir Richard, you discuss the role of Tom Watson, the former deputy leader of the Labour Party, who famously in 2012 made a dramatic statement in the House of Commons during Prime Minister's questions. I want to ensure that the Metropolitan Police secure the evidence, re-examine it and investigate clear intelligence suggesting a powerful paedophile network linked to Parliament and Number 10. He became a key player, didn't he, in Operation Midland. Mr Watson had close links to Nick. He met him. He had email contact with him. And he even repeated the words used by Nick to describe Lord Britain as being an evil man. Mr Watson used that phrase in his newspaper column just a few days after Lord Britain died. What is your assessment of the role he had in putting pressure on the police to take Nick's allegations seriously? Because in my experience, politics and police don't mix well. So far as Tom Watson's role is concerned, he was a very influential politician. I've little doubt that when a complaint is referred by a very senior and influential politician to the police, it has, whether subconsciously or otherwise, it does create a certain pressure upon the police to produce results. There's no doubt here that uh, Carl Beach was referred to the Metropolitan Police by Tom Watson. So in your opinion, was he, was he wrong to get involved, or certainly to the level he did? He was certainly right to refer the matter to the Metropolitan Police. If any politician receives uh, an allegation of crime, as any citizen receives an allegation of crime, go to the police. They're the p people that, that should investigate it. But uh, you made the point that within hours or, or certainly days of Lord Britain's death, 
a statement was made referring to him as evil and failing at that time, as I understand it, to attribute the allegation to Carl Beach. Harvey, you have been scathing of Tom Watson's uh, role in Operation Midland and, and questioned his suitability to get a peerage. But you're very clear that Tom Watson had a big impact on how the Metropolitan Police handled Nick's allegations. He was putting so much pressure on the police. And I believe that he and his office and supporters were acting as quasi-policemen. And the Metropolitan Police were fearful of how to deal with Tom Watson. And in an extraordinary switch, I believe in a PR sense, the Metropolitan Police were acting as politicians. All they were waiting for was a famous choice case to come along for them to act in a political way. And in many respects, I believe Operation Midland was the Metropolitan Police or certain officers in the Metropolitan Police. And I do believe that this goes to the top, acted in a political manner. The real issues here is the fact that the presumption of innocence was not adhered to. Has there ever been a worse police investigation in modern times, I wonder? I can't readily think of one. As you so rightly say, the presumption of innocence is something which must be adhered to. And the instruction to believe complainants at the outset is an instruction to set aside the presumption of innocence. How damaging has this been for the Metropolitan Police? It's arguably become an international laughingstock over the way this investigation was conducted. The Commissioner herself would be the first to acknowledge that it has been extremely damaging. Nothing could be more simple than to say that those who investigate crime must investigate with an open mind. Nothing could be more simple than to uh, inform the public that in future the presumption of innocence will be observed. Harvey, you recently received half a million pounds in compensation and a further £400,000 in legal costs after you sued the Met over your ordeal. That's a very large amount of money which the force was previously reluctant to pay. But will you ever get over Operation Midland if there's no true accountability for where it went wrong? Can I get over it? No. I believe this will be with me until the day I die. And I regret that, but I think that is a realistic analysis of the situation and the impact that Operation Midland has caused me. And I would like to thank Sir Richard Enriquez for conducting the report that he did and for being so instrumental in trying to get the truth out about Operation Midland. I've been proud to be associated with the criminal justice process for now well over 50 years. But Operation Midland 
represents uh, just about the darkest day for criminal justice process in our land. And you, of course, were absolutely more affected by anybody in that the allegations against you were even graver than the allegations against others. To be um, accused over a prolonged period of time of killing three children and grossly, grossly abusing numerous others in the most despicable way. To have that asserted to be uh, credible and true, to have your home searched as it was, to lose your job, your home, your reputation, is the most terrible thing that money could never compensate you for. You have the sympathy of all right-thinking people, and I'm sure everybody involved in the criminal justice process has every possible sympathy with you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, and with you. You've been listening to a Mail Plus true crime documentary with me, Stephen Wright. With thanks to Harvey Proctor, whose memoir, Credible and True, is published by Biteback, and to Sir Richard Henriquez, whose new book, From Crime to Crime, is published by Hodder Stoughton.